you would turn with me this morning to the book of Colossians. Thank you all so much for that offertory. Book of Colossians chapter 2. We'll begin reading right at the end of chapter 2 and go into chapter 3. Life is filled with transitions. Uh, There are all kinds of transitions made. Some of them go slowly. Uh, Some of them go quickly. Uh, Some of them are almost unnoticeable. Uh, Some of them are extremely noticeable. Uh, There's a transition that happens in life. I told PJ the other day, I'm not quite sure when it takes place. Uh, but there was a time in my life where I used to play basketball three times a week, uh, play golf uh, at least one time a week, uh, and then try to mix in another sport sometime during the week. Uh, now I coach two games of soccer and I'm dead. Uh, I don't know exactly when that happened. Uh, I would say it was sometime in my 30s, late 30s. Maybe it's just when I turned 40. Uh, this past uh, May, PJ turned 40, uh, May 31st, and... We woke up, uh, and she went to get out of bed, and she just moved a couple of inches and uh, didn't move anymore. And she went, Jeremy, there's something wrong with my back. And I said, well, what did you do? And she went, I turned 40. Uh, sometimes transitions get us, and we don't even know it. And I know some of you are thinking, you, you don't even know anything, uh, 40. Uh, wait till you're 60, uh, 70, 80, uh, maybe 90. Uh, I'm sure it keeps transitioning. Uh, and I'm sure sometimes those things are unnoticed. And I'm sure when you reflect back, you don't know exactly when it happened, but it happened. I mean, I'm not quite sure when I lost my hair, but I know when I look in a mirror, it ain't there anymore. Uh, so those things do transition and sometimes not in obvious way. And there's some obvious transitions. Uh, I can remember when the hospital called uh, PJ and myself to come and pick up Micah from the NICU. Uh, and I was like, no, he's supposed to have two more weeks in there. Um, and they're like, you need to pick him up tomorrow. Our beds are full and we need his bed and he's doing fine. I'm like, no, he's supposed to have two more weeks. Uh, we had reservations. Uh, there was an immediate transition when a baby entered the house. And it was very noticeable because I never slept again. Uh, so, so those things are noticeable. Transitions sometimes kind of fade in and out, and sometimes transitions are extremely noticeable and, and, and transformative in life in such a way that one could not even go on without noticing them. In Colossians, Paul is talking about one of those kinds of transitions, the transitions that happens in life when the old person dies and a new person comes to life. When, when that which motivates us and that which controls us and that which lays hold to us finally lets go. And now we have a new life to live. We are motivated by different things. We are driven by different things. Our goals look completely and utterly different because now, instead of the world having its hold on us, Christ has his hold on us. The God of heaven has laid hold to us through Christ himself. In chapter 2, Colossians speaks to this, and Paul writes about it, that it is in the crucifixion of Christ that this is made available to us. It is the crucifixion of Christ that brings about that transformative uh, aspect of our life, taking us from the old and bringing us into the new. In chapter 2, I want us to read just the end part of chapter 2 and move into the beginning of chapter 3, beginning in chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20 of the book of Colossians, Paul writes this. He says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, 
why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as, uh, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Gratitude in your hearts, uh, gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul gives us kind of two, two things here. He says, since this has happened, this is the case. And since this has happened, then this is the case. Look back in chapter 2 at the end of it where he says, since you died with Christ. So, so in other words, there is a transformation that we have gone through in dying with Christ. This morning we will celebrate the communion together. And, and in the communion, it is symbolic that, that Christ died for our sins, the brokenness of his body and the blood that was spilled. That symbolism speaks to what took place upon the cross, but it's not just what took place in Jesus's life. You see, the crucifixion, the passion narrative was not something that just happened to him, but it was something that was transformative for us as well. For we participate in his death. And then we participate in his resurrection. In Colossians, Paul says, because you have died with Christ. In other words, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you come to an understanding of who he is and what he can do in one's life and receive him as Lord of your life, what you have effectively done is died to the old self. Not only have you died to the old self, but you also died to the controlling aspects of the law. So, so listen to what Paul says. Since you have died with Christ 
then why do you still live in the ways that you live? He says, the, uh, since you have died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it? Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined per, to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in the uh, restraining sensual indulgence. So he says, since you have died with Christ, that death in Christ has given you freedom. To die in Christ gives you freedom. Freedom from what? Well, the first thing it frees us from is the law. Paul says, why are you still living by the codes that were created by men? In other words, these things do not come from God, but rather these regulations have been put on you by men, and yet you still want to live accordingly. Guys, when we die with Christ, we are set free from these man-made regulations. We are set free from the law. We rise above the law. The law becomes a tutor for us so that we recognize that we are not perfect. We recognize that we are sinners. We recognize that we need God, that we need Christ. We need his death. We need salvation. We need redemption. The law teaches us that. But when we are saved, in some ways we rise above the law. We are no longer constrained by it. We are no longer, our lives are no longer dictated by it. Our lives are not under it. We are set free from it. And Paul says, if you have died with Christ, then you need to live as though you are free from it. These regulations that have been placed upon you. For the regulations may look good. They may look as though they are wise. But in all reality, they do not serve the purpose. But then notice, he does not leave it there. For what that sounds like is Paul has opened us up and, and opened up a gateway to absolute freedom. And, and, and he says, since you've died to Christ, you don't have to follow these regulations. And these regulations are no longer in control of your life. But look at the beginning of chapter 3 where he says, But since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. So in other words, when we participate in the death of Christ, we die and we come, become free of these regulations and we become free of sin. And there is this abundance of freedom that comes into our life and there's this liberty that comes into our soul. And now that we are free and we are liberated, Paul says, remember this, not only have you died with Christ to these things to set you free, you have now risen with Christ to live in such a way. So when we rise with Christ, there are ex expectations of what we will live like. There is a transformation. We are not driven by control of laws, or we're not driven by the sin nature that existed within us. Now we are driven by something different. So when we are raised with Christ, our minds now are set upon those things which are heavenly. Our minds are not concentrating on those things which are earthly. Listen to what Paul says. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So being resurrected with Christ in some ways teaches us the life that we should live. Our minds should be focused on the things of heaven. Our minds should be focused on the things of Christ. Our minds should be focused on the things of God. 
God, just, just reflect for a moment. Just reflect for a moment about our lives. How much time and how much thought, how much, how, how much impact the things of heaven have in our life? In other words, how much time of thought and, 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 and concern do we give to those things of God? And how much time and thought do we give to those things which are earthly? It's a challenge. It's a legitimate challenge because when you work jobs, guess what gets your attention? Those jobs. The things that come to your door, the things that come to your desk, the things that you have to accomplish, the things that you have to do. You don't get these moments to sit around and just reflect, meditate, to think. One of the things I came to appreciate about the great philosophers that I studied when I studied philosophy is they had to have money because they just sat around by a fireplace in a smoking jacket and thought all day. Man, if I could just sit around in a rocking chair by a fireplace and think, there's no telling what I could think. That'd be brilliant. I don't get to do that. I get to sit in the hallway with kindergartners, and I get to go to the library with first graders, and then I get to go to meetings, and I get to do all those things. I get to mow yards, and I get to fix it. And it's hard not to be so focused on all the earthly things. Sometimes in your life, you're putting out one fire so you can go to the next fire and put it out, and you don't really have time to sit back, relax, and think. But there's a reason that the psalmist says, be still and know that there is a God. If we are to live our life, and if those things are to be the things that we are doing in life, the jobs that we hold, the tasks that must be accomplished, if they are to be worthy... If upward soccer is to be a worthy experience, we can run soccer and we can coach soccer and we can keep kids on a field. But if it's going to be a worthy experience, reaching the goals that we have for it and more importantly, the goals God has for it within the nature of our church, then what we have to do is we have to focus on the things of God. Our mind must be set upon God. Our hearts must be set upon God. Guys, it is easy to get connected into a world. It is easy to get connected to earthly things. Sometimes it's hard to rise above that and to think of the things of God. In Augustine's theology and his, his ethics, what really makes one moral is when one can uh, truly focus upon God. And what makes one sinful, what makes one opposed to God, is when we get so attached to the world you see, in Augustine's thought, the world is down here. We are in the middle and God is up here. So the world is beneath us. And what Augustine says is we so often get anchored to the world because the things of the world are of such interest to us and the things of the world seem of such value to us. We get anchored to the world and as we are anchored to the world, we cannot elevate ourselves to God. And the transformation that takes place in salvation is all of a sudden our focus changes and no longer are we anchored to the world. No longer are we focused on the things of the world, but now our full attention and our focus and our heart and our mind and our soul is longing for the things of God and not for the things of this world. It's a beautiful thought. It's very scriptural. Guys, how many of us can say that we're no longer anchored to the things of this world? 
How many of us can no longer say that our focus is not this world and that we've been elevated beyond it so that we now can focus upon God in a pure way, in a pure sense? What takes place at salvation, according to Paul, is the old dies. And what that means is we lose the desires and the longing and the, 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 the tie to the world. And now we all of a sudden have been motivated to seek God. And in all things, whether it is the small things or whether it is the large things, we are seeking God in that. Every single thing we can do. We can do to the glory of our God. The smallest task in life can be done to the glory of God. Most of us disregard the small things. Most of us that sit in a classroom, we don't think necessarily making an A is all that important. A B would be good. Now, some of us are driven to A's. Some of us, no matter what it is, is driven to an A. My wife, it don't matter what class she's going to take, she's going to have an A at the end. And if it's got a minus after the A, she's going to freak out. Me, I was a little different. A minus and B plus, it wasn't separated but by a point. I mean, and I just assumed I missed it by a point. Most of us don't freak out over being perfect. Some of us do. But we get so attached and driven by the things of the world. And what we got to realize is the things that we do in this world, whether it is sitting in a classroom and taking tests or whether it is working at a job or whether it is taking care of our families, whatever aspect of life that we are doing should be done for the glory of God. And when that is our inspiration and when that is what we are striving for, then the world becomes a better place through the Christians who live in it. But if we're not going to do that and we're not going to work like every aspect of our life is lived out for the glory of God, then the world is not going to receive the blessing that it should from the lives that we live. We must be focused upon God, our thoughts, our mind, our hearts, and our souls. We must long for God daily and even every hour. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of creator. Here there is no Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Notice what Paul says. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he goes into a list of things that describes the earthly nature. He says, put those things to death. Embrace the things of God. And he gives you a list of the things of God. But notice, you're the one who has to put those to death through the power of God's Spirit. Put to death these things. How do we do that? 
How do we clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? How do we learn to bear with one another? How do we learn to forgive as God forgave us? How do we learn to do these things instead of being wrapped up in all of these immoral things that have such an attachment to our very nature and our very core? How do you do that? You train yourself. You train yourself. We act as though Christianity is some type of magical incantation that comes upon us and and, and all of this old stuff dies and all of this new stuff comes to life. But there's an involvement that you have in it. There's the power of God that changes you internally. There is no doubt about it. In Paul's writing, the Spirit of God is what leads you. The Spirit of God is what gives you the power. It's the crucifixion of Christ that makes it possible. But there is also a part within Paul and other writings within Christianity that talk about the fact that we must be disciplined in these regards. Brandon is teaching a class on Sunday nights called Spiritual Discipline. Guys, if you want to focus on God when you're living in a dark world, one thing that is absolutely required of you is to pray, to study the Scriptures, to long for God. We cannot, we cannot put these things to death and live in this way if we are not going to practice the spiritual discipline. You've got to long for that life. You've got to long for God. You've got to seek after God. You've got to strive to be the person God wants you to be. And that is a daily commitment. It's not a commitment that takes one day out of your life. It's not one stroll down an aisle. It is a daily commitment. Every single day you wake up, your goal must be to serve God. It's the only way that that takes place. And the only way that it can happen is through the power of God. The only way that it can truly happen is through the crucifixion of Christ. But the only way that it can also truly happen is if you dedicate yourself to that. Paul was transformed on the road to Damascus, but Paul did not stop studying the scriptures and continuing to serve and write and pray. Guys, we've got to strive for the life that God has called us to. Christian life is not an easy life to live. It's a difficult life. You have to surrender much. And you have to break away from many things that you are connected to in such a way that you think it is probably the most difficult thing that you've ever done in life. If you are to live the life that God has called you to. If you are to put off the old and put on the new. Paul says this. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Notice one of the ways that we accomplish what God has called us to is we live in community. We need one another to support us. We need one another to admonish us. We need one another to teach us. We need to come together so that we can sing hymns and psalms and songs of praise. We need to come together so that we can learn more about the Word of God. We need to come together in community and strive to live that life. The Christian life is not lived as an individual. 
The Christian life is lived in a community of faith. You cannot read passages within the Scripture and and, and come to an understanding that it is an individual, it is a community. Throughout the Old Testament, it is Israel, an entire nation. It's not about Abraham the individual, it is about the covenant that God formed with Abraham to develop Israel as a nation. It is not about his offspring, it is about the lineage that comes from Abraham to carry out the covenant of Israel being developed. It's not about Nehemiah or Ezra, it is about the return of Israel to the land that God had promised it and the establishment of his people once again. In the New Testament, it is not just about the nation of Israel, although there's a number of passages about that and concerning it, but now it is also about this development of what is called the church, ecclesia. That is a community of faith. And what Paul is saying is if we're to live this life, then we're going to need to be admonished. We're going to need to be taught. We're going to need to be prayed with. We're going to need to be supported. Come together in peace with one mind, striving for one goal. And what you will discover is the new life that God has for you. Cannot do it on your own. Cannot do it by yourself. You will never reach the potential that you have as a person if you try to live this life on your own. For the Christian life is one to be lived in community. Are we able to put to death the old and put on the new? Are we able with our mind, our heart, and our soul to strive for the things of God above and beyond the things of this world? Are we able not only to do that as individuals, but are we able to do it as a community of faith, living out our call before our God? As we take part in communion this morning, I want you to realize that while we call this symbolic, it is an important symbol. It is an important symbol before it symbolizes the sacrifice that Christ made so that we might have a new life. So that that transformation that Paul speaks of can take place. For it is the brokenness of his body and the spilling of his blood that allows me to put on the new man. Allows you to put on the new person. Allows us to rise above this world and transcend its darkness and live in the light of God. It is the sacrifice of Christ makes it all possible. May we strive as individuals and may we live as a church body to live in such a way that the death and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Christ is not in vain but is a power that has transformed us and it is a power that has transformed the people of God forever. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for being a God who has provided a way, for being a God who offers forgiveness and grace, for being a God who gives us peace and allows us to live within the peace of this community. God, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for being our Father. God, we come before you and we thank you for the sacrifice that Christ gave so that we might move beyond the things that hold us down and anchor us into this world. 
God, we come before you this morning and pray that if there is anything that needs to be altered or changed in our life, as, as you search us wholly and fully, Lord, remember, remove any dark element from our life so that we might shine like the stars in the heavens and that we might live in the light of God. Lord, allow us not only to live as individuals for you, but allow us to live in a community of faith so that we might accomplish great and mighty things for your kingdom. For our ultimate goal, Lord, is not a selfish goal. It is a goal for the people of God. It is a goal for the kingdom of God. It is truly to glorify your name and honor you in all things. Lord, we pray these things in your most gracious and holy name. Amen. This morning we'll have a time of invitation. I pray that you will use that time of invitation to reflect upon yourself and truly what it means to come into communion with Christ at his table. I would ask that you reflect upon those things. And if there's any decisions that need to be made public this morning, feel free to come forward at this time. If you will please stand and cast your feet.